you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. How does a cook in the Army learn to become the Executive Vice President of Operations for Walt Disney World? What is the importance of role modeling? And how important is having dinner together as a family? Listen in for the timeless answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. My guest today has connections in one of the most magical places in the world. I won't spoil the surprise yet, so let me distract you for a moment with a great insight from James Baldwin. He says, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Unfortunately, I have observed this to be true with my own kids. Kids seem to have a sixth sense for seeing the difference between what I say and what I do. (laughs) And in today's episode, we'll touch on this topic. And I think it is a particularly poignant topic. In our Inventors Boot Camps, we encourage kids to explore, tinker, and try stuff. Because the process of trying something new, varying the approach, and iterating until success is the only way to truly learn anything. It is such a powerful idea that the best business leaders encourage it, and we use the same process in our company whenever we try a new idea. If you'd like your kids to learn this success formula in a fun and engaging Inventors Bootcamp environment this summer, visit ttinvent.com and click on the Inventors Bootcamp button. And now, to break the suspense about today's guest. For 10 years, Lee Cockrell was directly responsible for the Disney magic at Walt Disney World Resorts in Florida. Since then, he has focused in on great leadership and training another generation of great leaders. Let's listen in as Lee shares some timeless treasures of leadership. So our guest today is Lee Cockrell. Lee is the former Executive Vice President for Operations of Walt Disney World, where he was for about 10 years, and he took the time there to bring a particular attention to hiring and training and to creating a great culture there at Walt Disney World. He also has a recent book called Time Management Magic. So Lee, tell us a little more about yourself. Well, I got in the hospitality business uh, way back. I dropped out of college after two years because I wasn't a very good student, so my mother decided she didn't want to pay for those grades, so I went in the Army, and uh, when I got out of the Army, I got a job as a banquet waiter at the Washington Hilton in Washington, D.C. I think two things happened. I had a good attitude, and I was organized, so it wasn't long before I got into a management training program and ended up with a 42-year career with eight years at Hilton and 17 at Marriott, and then I joined Disney in 1990 and went to France and opened Disneyland Paris and came back in charge of Disney World in Orlando for 10 years and before I retired and started my own little business. So that's kind of my quick life. <laughs> that sounds pretty exciting, and it, but it has an interesting beginning. Tell us a little bit about, maybe more about the beginning. Probably it, we could go uh, Google a lot about you know, some of your more recent achievements, but tell us about how that happened, the journey to get to where you are. Well, you couldn't Google it because back then they hadn't even thought 
probably Steve Jobs and everybody else involved in the Internet weren't even born yet. But I tell people we didn't even have indoor plumbing. I was the least likely to succeed. My mother was married five times. I've been adopted twice. I got my name Cockrell when I was 16. I dropped out of college and went in the Army. I was a private. I was a cook and got a job as a waiter and ended up running Disney World. So there's the uh, – <laughs> I always tell people don't <laughs> underestimate what you can do. It's Just don't <laughs> underestimate it. Oh, uh, that's funny. You mentioned you were a cook in the Army. My grandfather actually mentioned that he was also a cook in the Army. As you went through those early parts of learning, what are some of the lessons that you learned early on that helped you get into where you mentioned a management training program? Yeah, well, first, your grandfather was a smart guy like I was. Everybody <laughs> everybody likes the cooks, even the generals. Nobody bothers you because you give them more food and they're happy. Yeah, that was a good job. But, uh, yeah, I would say the main thing I tell people today, some people don't have a degree. Some people don't do well in school. I said, you know, the two things that probably got me ahead was growing up on that farm and learning to work early, work experience. I tell parents today, make sure your kids are working. I don't care how many millions you got. Give them that gift of working when they're 16, 17, 18, jobs, no matter what it is, getting used to a paycheck, being on time to work. So when I showed up, I was probably the most dependable banquet waiter they'd ever had. I had the best attitude. When they told me you got to work breakfast, lunch, dinner, dance, and be back again after three hours sleep, I just smiled and did it. So I think good attitude, positive attitude, and discipline. I'm very organized and very reliable, and I do what I say I'm going to do. And those things uh, really speak well today to somebody you're working for to know that they can count on you and that you have a good attitude and you can take the stress and the tough times too. So I tell people, don't underestimate the value of good attitude and being organized. It uh, really pays off for you. So you kind of alluded to where you learned that. Was that something that you learned growing up on the farm, the good work ethic, the attitude, the having discipline? Yeah, plus I had a mother who was a terrorist. You better do it on time and be where you're supposed to be. <laughs> she didn't play around. My brother and I did exactly. My brother's an orthopedic surgeon, and we were the first two to even go to college in our family. And I think that discipline, my mother was a real disciplinary. She really made sure you did what you said you are going to do. My grandmother was the nicest person in the world and told me I could do anything and gave me that empathy side of growing up. So, yeah, I think learning to work. On a farm, you got a routine. you got to do it every morning at 6 o'clock, milk cows every evening. you got to do it. Uh, things have to be done at a certain time, certain times of the year for the planting. But I'm, I was already kind of wired discipline with discipline in me and organization. But I took a course in 1980 and learned how to apply it. That's why I just wrote this recent book, Time Management Magic, How to Get More Done Every Day, because I learned and then I cultivated a system over the last uh, 30, 40 years that just works. And I now go out and teach it to people and just taught one over at the Disney just about two hours ago. They had 50 people in the class and they wanted me to come over and teach them because this is the big problem people have today. They're stressed out. Life's coming at them 24-7. Your cell phone's on. you got to get to the soccer game. you got to take care of your health. I mean, people are so stressed out right now. Because they don't know how to organize their time. I tell people most people are not overworked, they're underorganized. They're wasting too much time. They're not spending it in the right place. And a lot of people never had a course in it. You didn't have it in high school, you didn't have it in college. And it's some, I don't know how it gets left out. It's probably the most important thing somebody ought to learn to do is get things done. When did you first realize that that particular discipline was critical? Well, my boss said one day at Marriott, I was a director there, and he said, we're all going to a time management class for two days. And I was the first one to say, I don't want to go to a time management. I don't have time. <laughs> and 
you know, and he made us go, and it turned out to be the best seminar I've ever been to. I sat there for two days, and I sat in the front row, and I learned so much about a system, about how to apply the discipline you already have in, your, in you, how to apply it to how you think about things every morning, how you think about the really important things in your life, how to think about scheduling the priorities in your life, doing things right now that may not pay off for 10, 20, 30 years. As I tell people, you know, save your money now pays off when you get ready to retire. Exercise pays off later. Uh, having good relationships with people pays off later when you need it. So I learned a lot of those things, and I started applying them. That's probably why my career took off. I mean, it took off in a big, big way because I could handle just about anything anybody gave me, and I could take the workload and get it done and still keep my marriage together and my family. So if you don't mind me prying just a little bit because now I'm curious, about how old were you when you learned that lesson? I was, I would say, let's see, 450, I was 36. As you've had an opportunity to manage many people, do you find that a lot of those lessons suddenly land at a particular time in life, or is it just randomly distributed? I think that one for me, you know, I was getting the job done and I was being successful in my career, but after I took that course and I got to start using this system, I looked back, and yeah, I was getting it done, but I was staying at work, going in at 6 in the morning, staying till 8 at night, taking work home, working on weekends. That's what I learned was how to get more balance and so I could have two days off and relax and take care of my health. And So I wasn't suffering from it, so I just got lucky, I think, that my boss made us go to that class. It's usually the thing you don't want to do that you should do, like you don't want to exercise, but you should. <laughs> so I, I was lucky that I got that knowledge, and it made sense to me. And I applied it immediately after I got out of the class, and it just started to help me be much more productive and more efficient and more effective, and I work on the right things now. My health is excellent. I'm 71 now. I'm in better health than most 30-year-olds. I'm strong. I have a strength trainer twice a week that I schedule in my daytimer, just like I tell people, schedule the priorities in your life. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling great. Life's good. My wife hasn't left me yet. We've been married 47 years, so life's good. <laughs> So you, you took a moment to describe the time management aspects of learning of that lesson before and after. Were there any personal growth things that happened after that were maybe a direct result of learning that lesson? Well, one thing that happened was I was pretty aggressive manager. You know, I was pretty insecure from the way I grew up, so I was aggressive. I probably abused my authority. I didn't always treat people very well that worked for me. I was very demanding. I didn't have much empathy in my bones. And I had a big change in my life where I found out that I was intimidating everybody and they basically hated my guts. And I made a big change over several years. I started attending leadership classes. I started reading more about leaders and how to get things done through respect and involvement, inclusiveness and leading people and not intimidating people. That was a big change. And it happened when I went out to one of my married hotels and the manager had passed out. They took him to the hospital. It turned out he was so stressed out about me coming that he passed out. Oh, wow. So isn't that terrible? And I found out after that my nickname was Doberman. So uh, that wasn't too good. Today I'm a Cocker Spaniel and I get a lot done and I think somebody will come to my funeral now. So that was a good lesson. And then I started to find out being a teacher is better than being a boss. And I changed my approach. I started teaching people instead of bossing them around. And when you're a good teacher, everybody loves a good teacher. And uh, they thank you for it. And I think if more bosses, so-called bosses out there would think more about are you teaching your people what you want them to do and raising the expectations for performance, people will step up for it. If you treat them right, they'll step up for you. And that's what I do today. It sounds like that you went to a couple of courses, the first one on time management and then a few other leadership courses. Do you think you could have learned those lessons in other ways or did you need that hard push 
of sitting in a class and listening for a few hours to someone talk to you about your life. I probably needed that outside influence because I had a lot of bad role models. When you start working in the 60s and 70s and 80s, there were a lot of uh, leaders that I worked for who didn't behave very well themselves. You learn how to do things from people around you and your superiors. And uh, I would say that I needed that outside person saying, go back and reflect on what you're doing, Lee. Is this really the right way? So I think sometimes we need somebody that's not in the game, an outside advisor. Sometimes, you know, I, I know even my grandkids will listen to me even though they don't listen to their parents. So, yeah, I think sometimes we need a little outside education. So our audience is primarily teachers and parents who are interested in lessons that they can pass on to their teenagers. Yeah. Could you help us connect the – I hate to say informal learning because when you go to a class, that's not really informal learning – but connect the learning you had up to high school and maybe into college with the education you got after college and maybe connect the common threads or, or talk about the things that worked well in one that didn't work well in the other and vice versa. Yeah, I would say if I was giving parents advice to the things I learned is when I was growing up, even though my mother was going through multiple marriages, uh, she had some long strings of when I was really little till I was about 16, I didn't even realize that she had had a husband or two before who I thought was my father. So my home life was pretty stable, safe. I felt loved. I would say uh, my grandmother was a strength. She lived next door and down the street all my life for a long time, and she was really a good, solid Baptist. I never heard her say a negative word. She was one of the best role models. She was so nice and always told me I could do anything I want. If I was telling parents, I'd say role modeling is number one. You need good role models, and I will tell you, I grew up in Oklahoma in the 40s and 50s, and a lot of inappropriate things were said about people black people, Hispanic, Jewish people, gay people. And my wife and I made a decision. We were going to be expert role models. And we raised our son. He never heard one of those things in our house. Never. We didn't say, never. Did we say anything like that? Ever put anybody in a negative light? And I got a son today. He's 46 years old. He's the VP of Hollywood Studios at Disney. He doesn't have a discriminatory bone in his body. And then he married a French lady. And I said to people, I even had to quit telling French jokes. So you can't do that. <laughs> I had I had to start behaving all the way. So now today I just know that role modeling is how people learn. It's how your children learn. So that's the first thing. Be careful what you say and do. Everyone's watching you, especially your children. And second, I would say make sure your kids have increasing responsibility as they get older. At eight or nine, they can be taking the trash out. They can be feeding the dog. They can be cleaning up their room. And then when they get older, my grandkids all work. They don't have to. Their father's quite well off and can do, but they all work at in horticulture in the summer, pulling weeds when they're 16 and 17. They have to have jobs. They have to clean the pool. They have to clean the garage out. They Hard work. I mean, hard. they have a full-time job in the summer where they get up and have to be to work at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they get off at 2, and it's 90 degrees, and, and pulling weeds is not a whole lot of fun. But what they're learning is discipline, being to work on time, working with other people, and uh, they are great kids. And when I won, it's going to be a junior in University of Miami next year, and he's disciplined. He, he went off to college when he was 17 and had that discipline to schedule himself because he was used to having to get up at 6 and do work when he was growing up. And I think those are the basic things. Make your kids feel safe. Focus on their education, but also give them that work ethic and at the same time, be careful what you say and do and be the best role model ever so your kids uh, don't see you doing inappropriate things or saying inappropriate things about anybody or anybody's lifestyle or anybody's religion or anybody's sexual orientation. These are the things that are important. 
the parents are the number one best leader in a child's life, and that's where the children learn 80% of who they are. Not what they do for a living, but who they are. Honesty, integrity, doing the right thing, making hard decisions, having hard discussions. Those are the things kids learn at home. And we got a lot of kids not learning it. And we got a big mess out there in the world with a lot of kids that are just lost, don't have a clue because they don't have self-confidence. They don't believe in themselves. And it wasn't built up at home in the right way. So self-confidence means a lot. And, you know, even today, a lot of kids, a lot of young teenage girls are very insecure, trying to keep up, peer pressure. You got to teach that at home early on to believe in yourself and have the guts and the responsibility to step up and do the right things because it's easy to do the wrong things and go along. So that's how I think about it. I think parents are the number one leaders in the world. And uh, I was tell somebody I'm going to write a book called Manage Like a Mother. Mothers don't care if you're happy. They care if you're successful. So they'll tell you they love you, and then they'll kick your butt, and then they'll tell you they love you. <laughs> <laughs> and they worry about you every single minute, every day. And that's what we should be doing for our people at work, worrying about them, helping them, being there for them, being careful how we manage and lead them. Let them have that confidence to get ahead. I, th I worry about people underestimating what they can do in their life because of how they grew up, not having that inside them to know that they can achieve whatever they want. And parents need to give that to them. Yeah, I even did some work with a guy. P parents that have dinner together with their family two or three nights a week, those kids are more successful. Just two or three nights a week have dinner together. That's a simple thing. But all these little things, when you're born and growing up, those first 18 years matter, and they matter a lot, and we discount them sometimes. And so that's what I would tell parents, because we did it, and we raised a great family, and my son's done it. He's been married 22 years, and they're happy, and his kids are doing great and do, making good grades and not getting in trouble, and they believe in themselves. And I guarantee you that was caused by their parents. What you teach your children, they teach their children. And I hope parents remember that every day. You got to do the hard things. Yeah, it's hard to raise a teenager. It's hard to discipline them. It's hard to have those discussions. But if you don't do the hard things, life gets out of control. If you do everything easy, life gets harder. If you do the hard things, life gets easier. It's a big responsibility, too, to have a baby. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not a small thing. And so take it, take it, take it seriously, and don't become friends with your kids. Become uh, the person they look up to, and uh, know that they'll look back and thank you one day. Thanks for all you did for me, mom and dad. I didn't appreciate it at the time, but now I get it. So I've been looking for an opportunity to ask someone this, and you are the right person. So if you will indulge, okay. if you will indulge me, because you have a longer-term perspective on leadership in our culture. And I'm curious about two things. First, who was the first leader, like not just a manager, but a leader that you remember in your life? And the second thing is, as you look from now, looking back in your life, thinking about leadership, have you seen any differences in either the quality or the number of good leaders? Once I get outside my mother and grandmother, the first great leader I had, I remember one guy I worked for when I was 16 years old. I drove a delivery truck for a drugstore to deliver prescriptions to people. Every every day I worked after school and on weekends. And I wrecked the car one day. It was a brand-new delivery car, and I wrecked it within 30 minutes because I wasn't paying attention. And I went back to the store, and I was scared to death to report it. I told him what happened. He said, Lee, it's okay. We'll get a new car. You just go home, take a nap, and I'll see you tomorrow. The way he handled that, I'll never forget that the rest of my life. You know, he could have beat me down and told me, you idiot, and injured and bruised my self-esteem and 
here I am, this Oklahoma kid, I don't know anything. He took me by the hand and for three years trained me. He took me to dinner every Monday night and ordered different foods, different beverages, and had me taste them, and he'd tell me about them, how they were prepared. He taught me the business over and over and over. And then I had one other boss who helped me not be so defensive because that was one of my downfalls. I was very defensive. Anybody wanted to give me feedback on my performance, I went into battle stations. And uh, I was going to defend myself. And he, I remember one day he said, Lee, do you understand everything in life is not about Lee Cockerell? <laughs> everything is <laughs> not about Lee. We're just talking about a business problem here. You don't have to go to battle stations. You don't have to get – we're just talking about a business thing. Everything in life is not about Lee. And he kept doing that for three years, and he got me over, and it's probably improved my career dramatically because nobody likes to work with defensive people that want to get into an argument every time you bring up something. And I, I learned the lesson there, and I think probably those two people may have more to do with my career than anybody I can think because they got rid of those personal problems I had, that those little personality issues about when we don't really want to work with people and we see them coming, we hope they don't come in our office. <laughs> you know, I mean, so he was great. Both those guys didn't have to do it. They did it because they wanted to, and they wanted me to be successful, and that's kind of like a mother. It was for me, not for them, and they took the time to do it. And I think that's when you take the time to do those things, you really give people a gift, and I, I think about them all the time. So on the second question, have you seen a difference in either the number or the quality of really good leaders over the course of the last, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 years? Leaders really behaved badly back in the 60s and 70s, I can tell you. If you did things today that they were doing there, they'd all be in jail. I mean, from sexual harassment to drinking to sleeping with the people at work to you name it. And I would say today, it depends what company you're in. I, you know, at Disney, I saw tons of great leaders that are ethical, honest, can-do people, treat people respectfully. Uh, they're there. They make hard decisions. They do the right things. Marriott has great leadership. I learned so much there about leadership. Bill Marriott personally is an incredible leader, and people adore him. But then you hear about other great companies that are just out there doing all the right things, whether you hear it's Google or Amazon. People love working for them or, or uh, whatever. Verizon phone company who, uh, with all the phone companies, and even done training for a lot of them. And Verizon's by far got a lot of great leadership. Uh, Costco. Uh, no, there's a lot of good ones out there. And I think people are going to have to sit back and become better managers because uh, all the workload and the 24-7 with technology is overwhelming people. A lot of people are having a lot of health problems because of stress and uh, and uh, not taking care of themselves. So, But I think there's still a lot of great leaders out there. As long as we have great parents, we're going to have great leaders. So <laughs> hopefully hopefully we keep getting great parents that are going to take care of business so we don't have to hire the people that are a problem. So you mentioned something that you've mentioned a couple of times in our conversation, and I want to ask it in the context of leading when you have an organization and you're facing the time press and the technology press that uh, we seem to be feeling now in the society, how do you as a leader, how do you lead in that environment to encourage your team to be balanced, I guess, although I don't know if that's the right word, but at least to manage that well? Yeah, it's a good word, balance or rhythm. You want a better rhythm in their life. I would say role modeling again. People will do what they see the boss doing. And if the boss is going to the baseball game at 5 o'clock on a Wednesday for his son 
or going to the soccer game and encouraging that and then talking about the game the next day to everybody, how he took off. And when other people take off, he makes sure. And it, and maybe even when he hires people, he tells them or she tells them, I expect you to take care of your family. Bill Marriott told me once, he said, you know why I have no problems at work, Lee? I said, no, Mr. Parent. He said, because I have no problems at home. You know, there's a correlation there. And I think I saw when I went to work for Disney, I told my boss, I said, you know, I'll be in at six or six fifteen every morning. But I leave every day at five to go work out in the gym because I got to take care of myself. I hope that's OK with you. And he said, no problem. I'll be leaving, too, to go to my kids games and to a referee and to do that. And then I started to set the example. I told every executive I hired, I expect you to go take care of things and you do it. And we never talk about when somebody's leaving at four in the afternoon, you know, some of those little comments people People say, oh, you're just working half a day today. None of that goes on at Disney. And people are just do your job and you go where you got to go. And if you got to go home, take care of your wife, or you got to be off at three o'clock to go up to the school and see your kids' teachers to take care of a tutor or something, you do it. And it's all role modeling. You create a culture. You know, the culture is the name of the game in life. Create the right culture and your people will step up and do a great job for you. And uh, that's what I thought about every day. They were watching me. If Lee does it and he thinks it's okay, then I can do it. And then their people can also – they see them doing it. It goes all the way down. So it's a matter of culture. It's a matter of respect. It's a matter of valuing people and understanding that everybody has problems that we don't know about. Everybody in the organization has a problem. You're going to have a son not doing well in school. You need to be off. Your mother falls and breaks her hip. you got to take off early and go take care of her. And we let people do that, and we encourage it, actually. And then they come back more committed and loyal than ever because we're all going to have tragedy in our families. Don't worry about that. That's coming. And uh, hopefully you're working in an organization and you have a family that will put their arms around you. And that's pretty much how I think about it. You never have to work so much you can't go take care of your family. You need to take care of them. So you've alluded to it. I'm going to ask you to unpack that just a little. How does an organization function that doesn't value that balance or rhythm in life compared to one that does value the rhythm and the balance in life? Tell me a little bit about the difference in those two cultures. Yeah, I think what you're going to see is pretty heavy turnover in the culture. It doesn't, especially today. Let me tell you, the young people today, they won't put up with that nonsense. It's not like me. I was one of those slaves, you know. <laughs> I just did whatever I was supposed to do. I went in. I kept my mouth shut for a long time. That was 60s and 70s. You're supposed to be seen and not heard. Do your job. Shut up. We don't care about your opinion. Today, they won't do that. Guarantee you, kids coming out of college today, young people, if you mistreat them, you don't give them a meaningful job and you don't take care of them and you give them a lot of appreciation, recognition, encouragement, they're gone. They'll leave. I have a niece who's a structural engineer for an oil company. She went to the first oil company. They paid her a ton of money. They didn't treat her right. She didn't get invited to lunch with the good old boys and all that. She quit. Went across town, got a job, tripled her salary. She just quit. I wouldn't have done that in a million years when I was that age. I would be too scared. <laughs> Kids today, man, they are smart and they have a lot of self-confidence. Their plan is to change the world, and you better get out of their way. So when you hire them, you better involve them and include them and value them and value their opinion and make them feel like they've got a meaningful job or they'll just go somewhere else. Yeah, times have changed. Well, you've certainly given me an interesting view because we have lots of views of our culture, and I like the perspective that you have on some of the changes, some of the positive changes that we've seen in management and leadership over the last few years. As we wrap up, we always ask two questions, and so I'll jump right into the first question. And you have an interesting perspective here, I think. We're now entering this digital age with Google and Wikipedia and YouTube, and we can go learn just about anything just by going online and typing in a few things. With that backdrop, what does it mean to be, quote, educated? Like, what does that term educated mean now? 
Yeah, you know what? I think it used to mean definitely had to go to college. But I, I have a company I work with. It's called Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, the number 15, thrive15.com. We fired up a education site. Right now we have 500 videos on there. They're 15 minutes, and they're educational videos about how to do everything in business from get a business loan, write a business plan, PR, how to use social media, marketing. We'll have 1,200 videos on by the end of the year. And it's they're great. They're 15 minutes long, and this is how kids learn today. Every five minutes, it stops and gives you a test. You get points. People love gaming, so they're going to get points. They're competing with people around the world. And I guarantee you, in 10 years, almost every kid in America is going to be able to go to college online. Maybe that degree is not quite as good as going to the campus, but you can't afford to go to the campus. So online and technology and using it for good. I mean, I love Google. I feel so smart every day when I hear something I don't know, and I just Google it right up, and now I'm the smartest guy in the room. So... uh, (laughs) In the old days, you'd have to go find your dictionary, if you could, or your encyclopedia. You probably don't even know what that is. But, yeah, today it's just so easy. You don't have an excuse today for not getting knowledgeable. And I think more and more the employer is going to want – we need education. We need people that can uh, have an education above high school and below college. Right there in the middle is a huge number of nice-paying jobs. And uh, a lot of that can be done online because really when you go to an employer, if you walk into my door and you can prove to me you are an expert, I'm probably not going to worry too much about it. Maybe it's an IT expert or any job you can think of. I'm not going to worry too much about your degree. Can you do it? That's good for me. I'm going to give you a job if you can do it. And I deal with a lot of people who don't have degrees, and uh, but they're experts in whatever they do. They've educated themselves, and that's because of online You can educate yourself easily today, watching videos, YouTube. I use Facebook, and I use Twitter, and I use uh, LinkedIn to promote my business. I couldn't run my business. My website is like people can go look at that. I have a bunch of free stuff on there to educate you, LeeCockerell.com. I have my own podcast. It comes out every Tuesday morning. It's called Creating Disney Magic. And it's 15-minute videos on how to be a better leader, how to be a better manager, how to improve customer service your business, how to raise your kids properly. <laughs> you know, And, you know, sometimes people just need to hear something. And if they can get it in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, they, a lot of people have 15 minutes while you're sitting there watching TV. And you can uh, listen to them during the commercial. And there's about 30 commercials every 30 minutes. So uh, you should have plenty of time. So I would think take advantage of it. Just eat it up, absorb it, uh, digest it, and you can really get smart. Look at me. I mean, it's incredible I had this career because uh, – and one thing I did too is I, I was a good learner. When I was in a hotel, I every day I'd ask – I'd drive people crazy. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Explain this to me. Why, why is it done this way? Can I taste that? I don't know. What's in that? I remember the first time a guy made me eat an oyster. I thought I was going to die. Uh, you know, so but, uh, <laughs> but I looked at it, and I put it in my mouth, and I love oysters now. The first time I had lamb, I didn't have lamb till I was 25 years old. I never tasted lamb. You don't eat lamb in Oklahoma. And man, now lamb, I love a leg of lamb. Just, you know, education takes you to a new, new place. Yeah. So I like that you differentiate it between education and learning. And I don't have time to dive deep into that, but do you feel like there's a difference there between education and learning? Hey, listen, I had a lot of highly educated people. I even had a couple from Harvard reporting to me. How do you think they felt with Lee Cockrell, the college dropout? I don't even know where the commas go. So that when I wrote a book, I hired a professional writer to put the commas in the right place. But they had to report to me. And their problem was they were highly educated, but they didn't have drive. They didn't have tenacity. They couldn't finish things. Think about it. They were educated, but they weren't very smart. <laughs> So the last question we like to ask is more of a philosophical question, 
and I think that I will enjoy your answer on this. It's a short question, and it's what is the purpose of an education? Well, you know, for me, the purpose is to be able to go out and help other people. I mean, really, when you learn, you then you, my theory is it's been for years, learn it. Maybe that's in books or websites. Learn it, then go out and do it, and then teach it. A leader's job is to create more leaders. A parent's job is to create more good citizens, good people, ethical, honest people, and that's what education does. And the reason that we have no, um, really, discrimination in our family is because we educated our son, and he educated his kids, and all that bigotry left. And that's what education does. You teach people, and they get better, and they get a different perspective and a different point of view. And uh, this is a big problem in the country. One of the worst problems we have around bigotry is poor role models at home. Now, I said, if you want to be a better person, you need to forget about half of what your parents taught you because <laughs> about half of it's wrong. And then you got to not believe everything. It's like the Internet. Don't believe everything on the Internet. And don't believe everything your mom told you because <laughs> it's probably not right. But it's what they thought at the time. You know, like everybody smoked back then. They thought that was just great. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Well, Lee, thank you so much for pulling the curtain back a little bit and helping us see the journey that you took from Oklahoma all the way up to Disney World. And what's the best way for our audience to connect with you? Anybody wants to talk to me, email me or get in touch with me, go to my website, leecockerell.com. And there's my phone number, my email address, my address. You want to send me a gift. You want to buy books. You can buy books on there. I have an app. It's called Creating Magic, Coaching on the Go. It gives 200 suggestions every day. It gives you an idea about how to be better today. My grandkids were pretty impressed that their grandfather had an app, and I had it back in, I had it back in 08. I blew their minds when they heard and so it's got everything on there, and I put everything on there, and it's got a free blog. It's got my web, my podcast on there, and it's just a good – it's an education site. That's where they can find me, and when they call me, I'll answer the phone. Everybody's got a phone. Nobody answers them but me. So yeah. Well, I will have to attest to the fact that your website is fantastic. I've stalked through there a little bit looking to find out a little bit more about you, and there's so much there. So I would definitely encourage our listeners. We'll link that up in the show notes uh, to Lee's website. Definitely visit that. There's a lot to learn there. Thank you, Lee, so much for taking time to speak to our audience this afternoon. Okay, Steve, you take care. If you've been enjoying the conversations and insights here on the podcast, Share it with a friend. Great ideas demand to be shared. You can also help fellow parents and educators by subscribing to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast in iTunes, leaving a rating, and writing a review. If you use Android, subscribe, leave us a rating, and write a review in Stitcher. Links to subscribe can be found at www.ttinvent.com podcast. Contact us and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout-out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Mm -hmm.